So, Tyler, it's really good to see you again. Great Glad to see you again. And I uh, uh, hope that you wouldn't have waited so long. I, I, I understand know. that everyone that I have ever seen has two things going. One is, is that they work too hard. <laughs> they struggle. And then they think they're the only one that has that problem. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. But in fact, everybody struggles too hard. They want too much. They get a little bit of success and then they want more and more and more. And then they get frustrated because they're wanting more success. They're not getting any success. And so they start to struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the other end of the stick, if you can think of it like this, there are those who go around saying that they are already enlightened, that they are an Arahat, right? Got several of those, uh, been on uh, Guru Viking and whatnot. And, <laughs> at that, and at that level, when someone claims that they are an Arahat, that means that they're they have think that they have arrived and that they are now immune to dissatisfaction, which means that when dissatisfaction comes, they ignore it. They don't want to see it because they've already decided that they're above it. Mm. Right. And so it's always dangerous to think that you have in fact arrived or are totally successful to the point that there is nothing more to do because there's always that in fact real enlightenment is to see things when they come up and get rid of them immediately and when you think you're already enlightened then when things come up you don't look at it get rid of it immediately what you do instead is is that you try to ignore it which is exactly what people do when they're starting the practice. So it doesn't matter where you are in the practice. It's still the same issue. That makes sense. And a lot of people have been promised that all oh, when someone is a fully an Arahant, fully enlightened, that means he doesn't have any, any more things come up. No, what that means is, is that he has developed the skills so handily that he can take care of things as they come up. Yeah. The Arahat who thinks he's an Arahat is going to get hit in the face because he's not watching. <laughs> so that's the whole point is, is that how can we do this? Now, on an, another analogy, um, I use often of that when we fall down, we pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. And we practice so that the skill is not not falling down. The skill is not not tripping. The skill is, is that when we fall down, we can pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, gladden the mind, pick ourselves back up and be happy. Or as I say, boogie on down the road. Okay, so what happens is, is then uh, the skill that's being developed can get so good that as we're falling down, we're recognizing that we're falling down. And so now we can pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off before we actually hit the ground. Totally. 
Okay, so that's the part of it is the gaining of the skill. If you're so agile that you can jump right up off the ground, then you can also be agile enough to where you can actually step aside rather than falling over the object that we got caught at. So this is something that we can look at in the whole range of things. And that the major item that you're looking at here is the issue of struggling. Struggling means that we're struggling to get something that we want that is not quite within our grasp, within our reach. Yeah. And you said that what you're doing is, is that you have stopped the struggle so that you could just relax. Well, that was what the whole point was in the first place, is to give up the ordinary struggles. And now you've got both the ordinary struggles and the meditation struggles going on. That everybody that I know of, when they first start to meditate, to get out of suffering, they add more suffering instead, because that's their habit. And that's also the things that happen with anything that's new. Here's an example. If you've got a technical issue with your car, maybe something going bumping and something like that, would you rather an old experienced mechanic to work on your car or a new kid on the block? An old experienced mechanic. All right. So the new kid on the block may in fact break something instead of fixing something. Mm. I've done that before. <laughs> I remember one Marantz amplifier when I was uh, working at a repair shop back when I was in college, and I did not understand um, emitter follower diodes, that if you actually put a probe on one of those diodes or one of those transistors, you'll blow it. Mm. So here you go, looking through what the problem is, creating problems as you go. That's what happens with the meditator also, that they begin to get some ad uh, advancement and then they want it. And so now they're struggling with it, trying to get it back again or trying to get something to where, in fact, the whole thing that we're talking about here is, is that we relax into it rather than grasping and attain it. But we have to do that actively. We have to actively relax. Yeah, and I, so it's something, it's, it's funny just to hear you say this now, because I, I think, you know, obviously you, you've always been saying this, this is kind of like, you know, Buddha, <laughs> Buddhism, like 101, but, but it was weird because I kind of treated it almost as if I was like, you know, lifting weights and like, you know, you try harder to lift weights and like eventually you get better. And that's, that's how things work in conventional life all the time. But, but for this, it was, it's actually like almost like a, a not like more effort equals more results. It's actually more of like a light switch where it's like I was, you fundamentally just need to do a different thing. It's not like the conventional strategy, like, which obviously like now that I'm saying it's like, obviously that's the case. Cause that's the whole point, but it's like, <laughs> it's not quite obvious, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, inspect it. <laughs> well, it's just so funny because you know, like, uh, you know, these instructions are like, so they're so simple, but they're, they're, they are so subtle. And it's just, there's all these traps because like, you know, you, you interpret them in a conventional way and it's like the, uh, the exact opposite <laughs> of the thing to do. But now that, now that I kind of like, I think I got a, got a glimpse of like, oh wait, that's what, that's what he was talking about this whole time. And I was like, wow, this is like fundamentally 
a different thing and it's like way better. And so I, I just got me really excited about the practice again. Very good, very good. If we practice, we need to continue the practice for a short period of time in the sense of always starting with the breath. When I say always start, actually, we always have to remember to start. And that's the start. We have to remember to start. Once we remember to start, then we also want to always keep track of these four items of to remember, to investigate, to take the right effort, to take a breath, long, easy breath, and then the effort that it takes to enjoy that long, easy breath, to come into the present moment and just enjoy this breath to get ourselves into a small bit of satisfaction that this is good enough. And when the thoughts of frustrations or doubt come back in, we can say, ah, I see you. And then we can come immediately back to taking another long, deep breath. It really is an easy thing to do. But when those thoughts come, Thoughts of doubt, thoughts of, oh, I got to know this, or, oh, I'm, I don't get this, or, oh, what's about that? Those are the thoughts that we need to uh, push away and bring back the kind of thoughts of, I don't need any of that. I'm okay without it. I don't have to solve that issue. I'm all right right now. And so we keep coming back. Everything is all right right now. Everything is fine. And we take a deep breath. And, and very I, easy exercise. And I, I think I had, uh, you know, when, when you say gladden the mind and kind of push out those hind those hindrance those hindrances, I had previously kind of interpreted that, or the way I had been practicing in the past was like I would see a hindrance arise, and I would like be actively trying to push it away. I'd be like, no, this is a bad thing. Get get this away <laughs> away from me. Uh, but then, you know, obviously realized I mean, that was ended up being kind of productive, and I. I think what the, the, the thing I was that's just another unwholesome thought. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a, right. You see the hindrance and then you say, oh, that's a hindrance. I hate those. Well, that's just <laughs> another hindrance. And, and so I, but I yeah, then that, that was the whole thing I was missing was that it was just like almost sidestep is like sidestepping the hindrance is not pushing it away, mm -hmm. but it's like sidestepping way, like almost looking at it from a 90 degree angle. You're looking at it from a different angle and it's like, a different becomes a different thing at that point. Right. It's like it's a like, different advantage, a different viewpoint. That's what investigation is all about, by the way, is taking various viewpoints. Mm. That if you're going to investigate something, like if I'm going to investigate this water bottle, I have to look at it this way and this way and look, look at this way and this way to turn it around. That means that we have to actually grab a hold of the object that we're investigating, okay? And basically what we're really investigating is what's happening right now. We're actually investigating this present moment. And what's happening in this present moment may be something that's happening in the mind. And so we can see that, but we only need to investigate it. And in fact, as the water bottle, the only reason to investigate it is to find out, does it have water in it or not? Mm. That's really the only reason, okay? And so we investigate it. We say, yep, it's got the water. There it is. 
or we can investigate it. Oh, there's no water. Right, that's all. Dukkha or no dukkha. That's the only investigation. A lot of people with the Mahasi have the idea because it's actually quite ingrained into the practice, uh, the way that it's taught, and it fits in with the Western mindset. And that is, is that you have to see the dukkha, you have to really see it, you have to investigate the dukkha, you have to take it apart. Maybe this dukkha leads to that dukkha. If you do this dukkha, maybe that dukkha will happen. And so you want to see all of these intricate pieces and parts of it and do a thorough investigation so that you have dukkha, 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 and more dukkha to see. Well, that's the way that we're taught in school. That just fits in with Western society. There's another way to do it. And that is to see dukkha as dukkha and immediately, without any further goodbyes to it, we just throw it out and change the mind. And in practice, that would be that I'm, as I'm breathing in, in fact, we can try that a bit. Just start breathing in long, remembering that this is a good, nice in-breath. You take an in-breath, and as you breathe in, you enjoy. And as you breathe out, you relax. And then you take another in-breath. And you breathe in, and you enjoy that breath. Oh, what a nice breath this is. And then you breathe back out and relax. And then we take another deep breath. And as you breathe in, you relax. Then as you breathe out, everything is okay. There's no place to go and nothing to do. And if a doubt comes into mind at that point, we say, never mind, I'm just going to take another deep breath and relax. I don't have to figure out that doubt right now. So I take another deep breath. And as I breathe out, I relax. And that's basically all there is to it. To not allow yourself to become distracted by those unwholesome thoughts, we have to be on alert for them so that we can say, never mind, I'm not going to think about that right now. I'm just going to sit here and relax with nothing to do and no place to go. What a marvelous moment this is. Then I take another deep breath and just keep breathing in and breathing out all oh, how nice I feel. And so we start working with and thinking about how nice we feel right now. We begin to investigate what it's like to feel nice. We begin to investigate how it feels to be safe and secure. We begin to investigate all the wholesome things. Why? Because we're not going to allow any unwholesome things in to be investigated. We're going to investigate them at the door and not allow them in to the party. Mm. Well, I, I'd like to learn a little more about when you say, you know, investigation, because I, you know, I had some interesting experiences like with, with a, with what I would call, what I would have used to have called suffering, like back in like old Mahasi days, even like a month ago, when I would have like, you know, an anxiety, I would have like tried to like stare really hard into that anxiety and break it apart into little pieces. And then but like, just like you described, then, you know, with this recent shift, it's more of a sidestep where I kind of like, kind of like, you know, move around like a jujitsu move around <laughs> the suffering. And it's not suffering. It becomes not suffering anymore. 
And then that's exactly right. Okay, so we're going to be taking jujitsu approach, not the hard approach. That hmm. Western mentality is let's just do it, let's go struggle with it, let's go fight it. But we're actually now learning the art of jujitsu of just standing aside and let it pass away. Yeah. It, okay, so when the thought comes of doubt, I can just say, never mind, I don't have to doubt right now. I don't have to worry right now. I don't have to frustrate right now. I can have a nice moment right now. And, and at that point, though, when, when you've kind of done the jujitsu sidestep, you know, at that point, you can investigate because it's no longer suffering at that point. Like if, if it becomes if it's like a neutral and you're viewing with equanimity, like that's the point where it's like it's a wholesome thought, even if you would have previously considered that that sensation mm-hmm. suffering. And so so now, like, this is the point where, like, you would be investigating. Is that right? Yes. OK, so let's use an example now and we'll use the example and I'll use a whole lot of words to describe it. And that would be fear, anxiety, stress tension, those kinds of words can be felt in the body. And that when people do feel stress or tense or anxious or fearful, they don't like that feeling. They don't like it. They don't like the anxiety. And so what we can do instead is work upon the, with the not liking the anxiety rather than the anxiety itself. In fact, what we could do is we can begin to use that anxiety as a toy to play with rather than something that we don't like and are trying to push away. Because really what we want to do is push away the not liking of the anxiety so that we can make friends with the anxiety, play with it as a toy. Where is that anxiety? Can I make the anxiety come up and then go back down? Can I have that frustration move from side to side? Can I make it increase when I breathe in and decrease when I uh, breathe out? And by playing with tension and anxiety that way, we're actually learning to take control of them, making friends with them, rather than not liking it and wanting to get rid of it. Because the not liking and wanting to get rid of it is the hindrance, not the anxiety itself. But the anxiety did come because we had already been in a hindrance that, in fact, we had thoughts that created the anxiety. So now we're going to have thoughts of playing with the anxiety as a toy, as a friendly thing. If we treat the anxiety with I don't like the anxiety and try to push it away, guess what? We're in a mental state that creates anxiety will make the anxiety linger and even increase by not liking it. That that makes sense. And I'm actually curious to say a little more about, you know, how you're describing how kind of playing with the anxiety. Uh, you know, I think sometimes I, I still get caught up in like my old Mahasi style, uh, like training where, you know, I think like, well, at all times what I have to be doing is every single sensation that's coming in, I have to real time be like, trying to get all of these sensations that are flying and buzzing around. And, and I think what you're kind of describing, 
is, is, is almost a little bit different, even if it gets you to the same place eventually, which is like what you can actually do is you're you're more once you have that kind of equanimity and that collectedness of mind, you, like you have like cultivated sati, you can uh, be kind of intentional with sensations you, you focus on and be kind of playful with it almost, right? Like you can kind of investigate in a curi- curious way that's not like, well, I'm actually, you know, uh, open. It's not like open awareness. Like I'm just waiting for things to happen to me, but you can like intentionally play with 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 sensations as they come up is it my my saying right yes let me see if this analogy helps to understand that yeah the practice of mahasi the way that it's taught and the way that students practice it is getting very close to the dukkha getting very close to the ground let us say and the analogy that i would have is let's say that we're in a high-speed military jet Now, the high-speed military jet, because the human mind is actually quite fast, the uh, high-speed military jet is actually safer at a high altitude. Mm. That if that uh, that jet is flying at, let us say, 200 feet above the ground, then the ground is changing in its topology so that he may, in fact, have to do a whole lot of going up and going down in order to maintain his 200 feet above the ground. Now, if he's trying to fly at 20 feet above the ground, that's extremely dangerous because <laughs> he's going to be running into a whole lot of stuff, including trees and houses and all that kind of stuff if you're 20 feet above the ground. Okay. And this is what happens with the Mahasi method is when we get too close to the dukkha, we're being hit by it all the time. What we need to do is, like you were saying, to sidestep it or let's get some altitude here. Let's get away from this stuff. Let's look at it as something that's very far away or that we're looking, we can see it in the distance coming so that we can avoid it rather than being hit by it. So is one word, so now the back to the state of just sitting here and enjoying and just taking that in breath and that out breath and then a little thought comes in, oh, I've got to write an email. Then instead of getting hit by that email, I can just say, never mind, I'll write that email tomorrow. Right now, I'm just going to sit here and relax. And then the next time, another obstacle comes up, and what is that? Oh, is this the right way to practice? And then we can say, that's just another article. That's just another obstacle. That's just doubt. Never mind. Right now, I don't have to deal with the things that I'm doubtful about. I could just sit here and relax right now. Mm. And so we begin to get on guard to be able to maintain as we're breathing in with a long, deep breath and breathing out. We use the breath as an anchor to make sure that we stay on the breath rather than having these extraneous thoughts to pull us away. And so we are having the kind of thoughts then that are going to keep us stationary on the breathing. Like, wow, this is so nice. I really enjoy this breath. Oh, I don't have to worry about anything right now. And so we can take those long, deep, relaxing sighs. Wow, it's so nice to feel good right now. Over and over and over again, we practice like this. 
to keep getting back to everything is all right. Everything is fine. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. And then that thought will come. That thought of, oh, I've got to write that email. Or that thought of, damn it, Aunt Susie was really angry with me the other day. And then I can come back and say, wait a minute. I'm breathing now. <laughs> I'm breathing now. Let me breathe. I'm not going to be paying any attention to that kind of stuff. And so when the doubts arise, when questions arise, we can say, I don't have to have the answer to that question right now. All I have to do is just to sit and relax. I could be happy even if I don't have the answer. I could be satisfied even if I don't know. It really seems like, you know, cultivating equanimity was like the, the key to the whole thing, right? Like you can't even do, you, you can't do that quite well. You have to get a, a baseline level of equanimity to be able to sustain that equanimity almost. Work that, with satisfaction. Don't, don't use highfalutin Buddhist only terms like equanimity. <laughs> you don't even use that word anywhere in your life. Let's use words that we use on a regular basis. Satisfying. Satisfactory. And so, if it's satisfactory, being completely satisfied is equanimity. Hmm. But just practice being satisfied, being comfortable and uh, free from agitation and worry right now. Just being satisfied. That's what we're cultivating. That's the skill. And how do we build up that skill? Is with having satisfying thoughts. We will feel satisfied. A satisfying thought is, wow, this is so nice. No place to go and nothing to do. I can just sit here and not have a worry. Ah, isn't that great? So these are the satisfying thoughts that we have. And guess what? The body will relax. The body will wake up and be vibrantly alive as it relaxes. And so we can feel the wind on the skin. We can feel the touch of the cloth on the skin. As we're breathing in and breathing out, we can feel the body breathing. Just relax, relax. Everything is cool. Just chill, baby. No worries. And when a worry comes up, we say, I don't have to worry about that right now. I don't have to worry about it. And when the doubt comes, oh, I don't have to be doubtful about that right now. I don't have to ask any questions. I can be happy without the answers. Just satisfied. But that's the way to practice. So so I actually I have a, have a question about um, kind of doing the practice in everyday life, not just, you know, on the on the cushion, but kind of like, for example, Something that I, I've noticed where I'll, I'll be like driving and I'll, I'll be listening to an audiobook when I'm driving and I'm trying to do the practice while I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing this and I'm like, OK, well, like <laughs> I get into these sometimes these mind these loops where I'm like, OK, am I focusing on the right anchor? Right. Like what's like the right anchor I should be focusing on for um, oh, those are the kind of doubts. And you can say, hey, I don't have to worry about that. All I need to do is just to sit here and relax. Yeah. Questions about what do I do next is a hindrance to mm. just relaxing. You don't have to do anything. That's the whole point. 
is to stop doing and start enjoying. Just enjoy the show. What show? The show of the breath coming in and out. The show of the body touching the environment. The show of what the eyes are seeing. The input. To be in the reality of the moment rather than in our heads reading a script. You know, Shakespeare has said, all the world's a stage and each one of us is an actor. But a little bit further detail, we can recognize, yes, everyone's an actor and everyone is reading their own script. Every one of us has a personal script that we're reading. Guess where that script came from? We developed that script when we were children. We develop the rules and the ways of doing things, and so that's what we're doing on stage is we're going around ordering people around, including ourselves and everybody else around us, follow my rules. Follow these rules. Do what you're told to do. Even if it's breathe in and breathe out. Even, you know, you can make that a rule too. And the thing to do is to stop reading the script. And to look around and recognize you don't have to be on stage. You can go sit in the audience. The audience is pretty empty because everybody's <laughs> on stage. <laughs> and so we can actually be that observer and just observe, just observe, just watch, just note, just see. Without having to put a bunch of stuff together or figure out what's going on. So and just to- enjoy the dance. It's just a rephrase to make sure I, I understand, because I think I understand what you're saying is, you know, the, the whole point of this is, is being satisfied and ob- observing. And, you know, an anchor point or, you know, a, a, when you're when you're is useful for like seating practice, it's like a useful tool. But like that's what it is. It's like a tool. It's not like the point of the practice. And so if you ever find yourself like where you're worrying about like the mechanics of your practice, you're like on the wrong track because. The whole point is to be satisfied and like you're kind mm-hmm. of you once you once you start worrying about something you're like you miss the point <laughs> well we're worried about something because we want something who yeah. worries if they don't want anything in other words someone who is waiting for the postman to deliver a package because he really wants that package and he's really worried about where the postman is but if he doesn't want the package then he's not going to be worried about whether the postman comes or not All of our worry is based upon the fact that we want something. And that's what we need to look at. What do I want right now? And if I don't want anything, then I'm satisfied. And if we talk to ourselves about how nice things are right now and how satisfying they are right now, then I don't want anything right now. What a relief. (laughs) What a relief it is to not want anything. So, uh, I see, so... It seems kind of like the it's almost like not wanting something in satisfaction is kind of almost like a like a virtuous cycle where like by being having momentary having moments of satisfaction breeds more of satisfaction. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I feel As like they still do be in development. That's developing the skill. Yeah. The more that's, satisfied that you practice being a little bit satisfied, the deeper that satisfaction will grow. That that make that makes sense, and I, and I guess it almost feels kind of like a, a critical mass of satisfaction. That's the way I've been kind of thinking about it recently. Where like 
I felt like <laughs> I had not reached this critical mass of satisfaction. So like my dissatisfaction was keeping me from like ever kind of getting a glimpse of what satisfaction could look like. And then once you kind of see it, you're like, oh, like I'm at, like I, this is satisfying, and it that is inherently satisfying in itself. And and I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, okay. Now let's say it like this: then you have a P of satisfaction and a mountain of dissatisfaction. Mm. Let's focus on the satisfaction and forget about the mountain. Yeah. And just say, oh, this is satisfying right now. At least this moment is satisfying. Mm. And when that mountain comes knocking, they say, never mind. I don't need the mountain right now. I'm working on my P of <laughs> satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And cool. so we practice a little bit of satisfaction. And as you stay, stay closer and closer to the satisfaction, it grows. A marble that is 10 feet away is so hard to see, but a marble five feet away is a little easier to see. But if you've got the marble five inches away, you can really pay attention to it. And now the marble is fairly big. In fact, it almost completely um, fills your field of view. And so that marble of satisfaction can actually completely cloud out and hide that whole mountain of dissatisfaction because we push that mountain of dissatisfaction so far away. And so we stay with that little, little tiny P of satisfaction. And it grows and it grows as we get closer and closer to it. As you become identified with satisfaction, I mean, who would you rather be? Are you are you going to be that mountain of dissatisfaction or are you going to be in this moment that that satisfaction, that P of satisfaction? Mm. That's how it grows is because we get closer to it, our field of view. Mm. And the interesting thing is, is that if we get if we're uh, let us say. So many units from that um satis uh, satisfaction as we're bringing it closer by getting half the distance cut we're actually increasing the satisfaction fourfold this is called the inverse square law hmm. uh, my, i that need to break off my, my math skills but I, i'll take your word for it Actually, we can prove it with two-dimensional circles, but it has to do with the three dimensions. That if that here's a here's a point. If you have a one-diameter cylinder, that it has a, a diameter across, of, let us say ten feet. Mm -hmm. If you double that cylinder to twenty feet, then the volume of this cylinder is four times what the volume was. Mm, okay, I, I understand now. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a way of looking at it. Is when you get uh, when you have twice as much, your volume is four times. And so when you have twice as close, then the volume increases like that. That means that the that the satisfaction will go quickly. It grows quickly. The closer to it you get, it gets really huge. But you have to start with a little P, just a tiny little bit. And a P next to a mountain 
is, uh, uh, you know, say, never mind the P of satisfaction. I've got this mountain of dissatisfaction to deal with. Well, that's the Mahasi method is dealing with a mountain of dissatisfaction. You, you got to go find every tree and every rock and every stone and every rabbit on that mountain. And here we're not going to pay any attention to the mountain. We're just except for the fact that that's the mountain. And we're going to work with a P of satisfaction instead in this moment with this in-breath. By the way, I really enjoyed your uh, the last Guru Viking you did on the Mahasi method with, <laughs> with Daniel Ingram. That was that was a good one. Oh, really? What did you get out of that? What what do you remember? Um, All well, I remember was it got cut off early. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, honestly, it, it was kind of the thing that uh, it it actually kind of I, I listened to it to help inspire me because I was at a low point of in my practice at that point. I was feeling very frustrated. And so I listened to it to kind of you know, reset. And it actually, that at that point, that's when I kind of like decided to stop trying so hard. To, <laughs> and so it, it, was, it was actually quite important to me to listen to it because it, it really re was a good reset for me. But, you know, Daniel Ingram is kind of the, the reason I got into practice in the first place was that I read his, I read his book and I, that's how mm -hmm. I, you know, I started practicing, went down this long rabbit hole of Mahasi which ended up not being super productive for me. Uh, but so well, it was now here's something. Here's something really interesting. The Mahasi method that is practiced in Western Buddhism is not what Mahasi Savada taught. Totally. And that, that was the most interesting part for me is that I didn't really understand the history, especially what you're saying about uh, Upandita was very interesting about like his personal style rubbing off on like you know the western interpretation of the style um and how they kind of got diluted over time and so that, that was really interesting I, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that um but it made, makes a ton of sense but it you did catch what uh dan wrote read he actually had that in in, in advance planned out that he read a chapter mm. or at least a page out of mahasi's own literature talking about joy yeah, yeah, I, know. I remember that. And yet the Mahasi method in the West doesn't talk about joy much at all. It only talks about note what's there, rather than get some joy and then note that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's get yeah. some satisfaction, and now we have something that's worth noting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was really interesting. Um yeah, it definitely does not come across in Western teaching, so it was really, really cool to hear that. All right. Well, that's the trick to it, is just to come back to that deep breath and, oh, I don't have to worry about that mountain. I don't have to worry about those frustrations. I don't have to worry about those doubts. All I need to do is just to sit and relax and enjoy the moment. Wow, what a nice moment. The wind is blowing. And the trees are moving. And everything is cool. And we can just chill. Just chill. Everything is okay. Everything's fine. Not a worry in the world. And we can just relax. And we keep practicing that over and over and over again. This is why I would say to practice it several times a day, because just practicing like one hour a day, for one thing, an hour is too long. 
because the attention span of a human is not an hour until you really practice it. That in mm. fact, your attention span can be increased. But what that means is that you're increasing your mental capabilities or you're actually, um, how to say it, exercising. But for the beginner who's never done this, uh, sitting for 45 minutes or longer is way, way too much. Yeah, it would bit... be better. Oh, sorry. That the, yeah, the second half or more of that time period is going to be wasted. That it's better to practice short periods of time and really get some value out of it over and over and over again. So I would recommend four to six, maybe even more times a day, just 10 minutes or 15 minutes to just sit doing this one thing. And that is nothing at all. And talking to ourselves about how much nothing we're doing and how great nothing is. Don't yeah, have to worry. Don't have to fret. Don't have to anxious. Don't have to screw up. Just sit and relax. So yeah, I mean, I've been doing four 15 minute sessions uh, a day. I might I might up that to to, to six 10 minute sessions instead. That's great. Keep practicing like that. Practice only as long as you're enjoying it. If you get frustrated while you're practicing, you already know that you're practicing the wrong thing. It's better to quit. It's better to say, all right, I'm going to spend my time frustration now. I'm not going to be practicing being uh, happy while I'm actually frustrated. Let me go enjoy my frustration for a little while, and then I'll come back and enjoy not being frustrated. Yeah, I mean, at this point, though, I mean, I, I am, by the end of my practice, I am, like, consistently enjoying it, though. Like, I'd say it might take me, like, about five minutes to, like, really settle in. Uh, but then once I hit that point, it becomes, it feels good to keep going. Yeah, then it's worth doing, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. the best part. Is it because you like doing it, you continue to do it. Totally, yeah. Mm. So never mind, start again. <laughs> keep doing it until you like it. And then you will keep doing it. It's an easy practice. It's easy to do. And it gives enormous benefits. But we really do have to change or flip that switch from trying to do it and to stop trying and just enjoy it. Totally. Yeah. Well, that, that was the big, big realization I had this last week, which you've been saying the whole time, but I finally just internalized it. So I wanted to, uh, <laughs> wanted to share it with you. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's feels really good. great. Yeah. Very, very excited for it. It feels good. Oh, it's good to hear students when they say, oh, I finally figured it out, right? You've been telling and telling and telling and telling, and now <laughs> it clicks. And that seems to happen with everybody. Nobody gets it the first time or the first hundred times, or maybe even for like for me, 10,000 times I heard it, and it still didn't click. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, took me, it took me a good four years, I think, for it to finally settle in. I think it did settle in now. I'm pleased. I'm very happy with you. Yeah, thank you. So I would really actually like to see you come on and share your success on Sangha on Friday evenings. Uh, on Friday, I have I, I I can this Friday, but the next Friday I'd love to join. I have a, I have a date this Friday, unfortunately. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you when you show up. What? Uh, where are you located? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. 
Okay, so that's uh, a little early for you. Uh, to to make it okay for the East Coast, uh, we start at 9 East Coast time, which is 6 in the evening. Yeah, and so it's, it's possible on, I'll, on the I'll, West I'll, Coast. It's possible I'll be able to make it. I'll try to make it this week. Um, hopefully, if not the next week. The best Fridays are always pretty hard for me. In a perfect world, it'd be awesome if it was any other day because Fridays are usually pretty hard for me. But um, I'll, I'll definitely try to make it this week, though. Actually, we chose Friday intentionally because Saturday, uh, that means that people can spend Friday night doing that without having to worry about what happens on Saturday because they've got Saturday off. Oh, nice. But it doesn't fit with everybody. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll try to make it this, this Friday if I can. I think I, could, I might be able to do six. I would really like to see you, Tyler. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Well, I'm sorry it took so long for me to, us to, to catch up you again. Didn't. But Please don't be sorry leaving here. There's no decoy allowed. <laughs> be well, very, uh, very joyful that we've had our time together. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very good to see you. I'm glad, uh, glad we got to catch up. Excellent. Right. Let's stay with generosity and gratitude. <laughs> I really am grateful that you called. Uh, uh, thanks, Tom Riley. Yeah, grateful, grateful for you as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for for. Uh, for being there for the, the you know, last six months, you've been great. Thank super you. My practice. We'll see you again soon, Tyler. All right. See you, Damarado. All right. Bye.